Coming up on the Money Beat Week Ahead podcast, Janet Yelling heads to the hill and a lot of decisions for President-elect Donald Trump to make. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Paul Vini is off today. You get worn out by the election. But I'm uh, Steve Grosser, and I'm in the studio with Corey Drebush and Chris Dieterich. And joining us from Washington is Ben Lubsdorf. And we're here to sort of break it down the week ahead. Um, ben, what are the two things, I mean, what are the big things that you're looking at next week on the economic calendar? Well, when we look at the U.S. economy, you know, as a whole, the biggest part of our GDP is consumer spending. And we don't really know how it's going to shape up headed into the holiday shopping season. We know that we're seeing continued job and wage gains, uh, but uh, consumer spending decelerated in the third quarter. But we're going to get our first big clue on Tuesday. That's when the Commerce Department's going to release uh, retail sales data for October. That's going to help firm up GDP tracking quite a bit. Uh, The consensus is that uh, headlines retail sales are going to be up 0.5%, and uh, if you take out autos, it'll be a little weaker, uh, a 0.4% gain. But that's still pretty good and would be pointing towards a pretty solid uh, consumer contribution to growth in the fourth quarter. Uh, The other thing that we'll be watching uh, pretty closely is uh, Janet Yellen. Uh, Obviously, she always makes news when she speaks. And especially in the wake of the election and the very surprising outcome of that, uh, she is scheduled to testify on Thursday morning before the Joint Economic Committee. Uh, Now, she's done this testimony in the past. She did it last December uh, when she testified before them last December. Uh, It helped her tee up the first rate increase uh, that the Fed did. Uh, Now she's talking to them uh, about the outlook. She could continue to tee up the next rate increase again in December. Uh, but she'll also almost certainly be asked about the election and what effect that could have on uh, the Fed's policy going forward. What's your view sort of of how the election could impact? I mean, obviously, there's loads of uncertainty here. But I think undoubtedly, the you know, the Federal Reserve is going to face a more hawkish uh, Congress and a more hawkish administration. How, how do you think that's going to affect the Fed's uh, rate policy going forward? Well, I mean, I think you said it with the word uncertainty. We we just don't know. And there's a couple of dimensions where we know we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, one of them is uh, who is going to be appointed to the Fed. You know, there are two empty seats right now on the Board of Governors. Uh, President-elect Trump will get to fill those right away. Uh, and there could be more openings that come up. And in not too long in the future, he'll be able to pick the next Fed chair. And he's indicated that he's probably not going to keep Janet Yellen in that job. So we don't know who's going to be put on the Fed and how that could affect the course of policy. Uh, but, you know, there's also a great deal of uncertainty about what's going to happen to the economy. Initially, there was a, when the markets looked like they were going crazy on uh, late Tuesday, early Wednesday, uh, there were people talking about, you know, there's going to be this big market reaction. There's going to be a big hit to confidence. There's going to be so much uncertainty that it could slow us down, maybe even put us in a recession. Now, people seem to, other people seem to be saying we're going to have a big fiscal stimulus and tax cuts and maybe an infrastructure program. Uh, that's going to boost the economy, but it could also boost inflation, get the Fed to move interest rates higher faster than they would have otherwise, uh, which could, you know, again, trigger a recession if things go badly. So we just, we just don't know. It's all speculation at this point. And I think that we won't know for a few weeks when economic data rolls in, if the election of Donald Trump 
has had any immediate instant impact on the economy. Uh, but the uncertainty will take months to resolve. It will be interesting to watch, I guess, the lines of questioning directed at Ms. Yellen. I mean, she has taken, you know, great pains to kind of say very little about the election. And I guess the, the assumption was even some notes that I had coming into my inbox on Wednesday morning that, oh, the, the market uncertainty is going to be such that, oh, the Fed might hold off, and immediately that reversed. So it it does seem like this idea that the markets were going to be so choppy after the election that it might prevent the Fed from doing anything is, has maybe existed for all of 10 minutes and then evaporated immediately. So it will be interesting to hear a little bit more for whether no, certainly. that has any difference. When we were down 900 points, I think most people were like, uh-oh. Absolutely. The Fed won't have the chance to act, and but that <laughs> yeah. she said that reversed very yeah. quickly. A lot of those earlier notes were also tied to the ex- expectation that if Trump were to win, the market would be down five to seven percent the next day. So, right, and every yeah. single person that I, I think we all read is is completely wrong, right? I mean, yes. the the, ver- the estimates varied from five to I think eleven percent in the weeks ahead that the S and P five hundred would would drop as far. Clearly, it did not do that. Uh, in fact, it did the opposite. So, so I mean, the hearing from Yellen in the context that, that a rate hike is almost, you know, guaranteed, at least the markets are estimating very close to what it was earlier in the week that it would happen. So, interesting. And interest rates are, I mean, for the 10-year Treasury, we were talking about this earlier, it, they're already up. They're, they've had a big, the yields have really risen a lot. So, that might also make, I, w- I wonder what Jenny Yellen might say about that, or if that makes her job easier. Well, and she's tried very, very hard to stay out of politics. She's tried mm. very hard to emphasize that the Fed's a nonpartisan institution. Even when she kept getting dragged into the election, <laughs> she kept not trying to not take the bait, trying not to engage on it, and emphasizing even to the point of saying, you know, the Fed is not considering the possible effects of the election on the economy, which, uh, I mean, of course, there's possible effects on the economy, and we're talking about that right now. I think now that we have a resolution in the election, uh, she may feel a little more comfortable discussing what certain actions, how that might affect the economy, how that might then affect the Fed's policy path. Uh, you know, one thing that the Fed has been saying for years is that they want that fiscal policy is tight and that's holding back the economy, that the Fed has had to do more on interest rates uh, to keep the recovery going because there's been so little stimulus on the fiscal side. Uh, that looks like it very well may reverse soon. And that will be a change that I assume uh, someone on the Joint Economic Committee will ask uh, Chair Yellen about. What about the political independence of the Fed? You've heard a lot sort of being not talked out of necessarily the Trump camp, but from uh, congressional Republicans and how, you know, the Fed goes about setting rates since the election. Do you think that's going to come up? Well, I think that there's certainly a lot of Republicans in Congress who have not had a chance to pass legislation because there's been a Democrat in the White House blocking this, uh, blocking uh, the various flavors of Fed reform overhaul bills that have been floating around, uh, blocking changes to the Dodd-Frank financial reforms that were passed in the wake of the crisis, uh, on Obamacare, on all sorts of stuff. And so I, I think that it, it will depend what priorities are set by congressional leadership, by the new administration, how much of that changes. But, I mean, for the time being, uh, this was a surprise. I mean, reportedly a surprise. Donald Trump's election was a surprise to some extent to his own team, and they are scrambling to get a transition together to get key positions filled. You know, the, 
incoming administration needs to fill a lot of jobs, get a lot of people confirmed by the Senate. It's not just a few cabinet secretaries. It's a huge number of political appointments across the various federal agencies. And, you know, it takes any incoming administration time to do that. It may take the Trump administration more time uh, just because they've been so on the outs with large segments of the Republican establishment up to this point. And really, as you look into next week, we do have these, you know, pretty important, you know, number economic data coming out. But it does seem like everyone is watching with bated breath to see what the cabinet composition looks like, if there are surprises there in the mix. And from a market perspective, that might be, you know, potentially what we get, really, the the market-moving events there. So, we'll, I mean, that's yeah, sort of— Yeah, I mean, like, just Treasury Secretary, right. who's— you know, rumors of that, anything, you know, you can see having a significant impact on the markets. Um, ben, just quickly, um, what, like, there are a couple of sort of uh, things, you know, economic data points for coming in from overseas. You have uh, GDP out of Japan and the minutes of the ECB next week as well. Right. So uh, Japan on Monday is releasing uh, third quarter GDP data. Uh, economists are expecting that it's going to show growth, which is good. I mean, it's a third straight quarter of growth for them, uh, but pretty weak growth, uh, mostly tied to exports. So that's that's not the kind of durable recovery you'd want to see there. If we're going to get European data, revisions on Eurozone uh, GDP, and a first reading on German GDP. Uh, that's on Tuesday. And that, you know, leads into the ECB minutes, which are coming out on Thursday from their October meeting. And one of the big questions there is, is the ECB going to extend its uh, bond buying program? It's scheduled to end in March. Uh, They're going to have to make a decision at some point before then if they're comfortable with the level of inflation they're seeing, the level of growth they're seeing, or if they want to extend it. I know there's a lot of speculation about that, and people are going to be watching every possible clue out of those minutes on where they're going. Well, thank you very much. I think that's a good place to take a break. We'll be right back. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. This is Stephen Grosser. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on Google Play, on the Google Play Music app on the uh, Android devices. Um, with all the election earnings this week, I think, largely got lost. Um, and, you know, with the market moves. But ne- next week, earnings season's, you know, basically winding down. And as it winds down every quarter, the retailers are sort of going to come into the fold. We do have, um, you know, and that comes also as us having retail sales. Um, you know, Walmart, Gap, how much, are th- these guys are really going to be sort of setting the table for holiday sales 
Um, and it's going to be, it feels like m- much more important about what's to come rather than what they're re- going to be reporting. Um, and then the interesting thing, and Corey, you wrote about this earlier, is with, like, so far we've had 91% of the uh, S&P 500 reporting. And we're up, we're going to have the first growth in what five quarters for uh, earnings. Yeah, for sure. according to facts that we'd had five quarters in a row of contracting earnings uh, year over year, and this quarter, I think with that ninety-one percent, I think it's supposed to be around three percent yeah. earnings growth. Which, I mean, if we can keep this up, we might even have earnings growth for the year, which would be big news. Um, but either way, that's. The recession, the earnings recession, is over, which is a big, big hurdle that we've. No, and 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 it's one of the things that's like, you know, as the Fed has moved closer and closer to, I think, tightening. One of the big questions for investors is whether earnings were going to be able to step in and really support the valuations, um, because we basically, you know, the E has been coming down for a while now. Um, and you know it, it, that was that was fine when everyone was focused on you know the Fed and low interest rates and all that keeping boosted. But you know if we get another rise, you know the earnings really going to have to support it. Yeah, it's really interesting in light of the election as well. Um, a, a JP Morgan put out a note, and I was sitting on a trader's desk on Wednesday right after the election, and a lot of the initial buzz was about. One of um, President-elect Trump's policies that he campaigned on of cutting the corporate tax rate to about 15 percent or so. And uh, these traders were doing back-of-the-envelope kind of calculations, and J.P. Morgan put out a note about it as well, that just how much that could really boost earnings for S&P 500 companies uh, because their effective tax rate is in the mid to high 20 percent right now. So if it actually gets cut to 15%, that would be huge. So I don't know how much of that is getting priced into the last couple of days rally to that expectation. It's a good question because a lot of that, right, uh, seems like it's technology related for the most part. Um, it'll be interesting certainly to see how that how that plays out. But Corey, you've written about this too. And as you sort of look back on earnings in, in the context of all the other different big picture macro things, it's kind of been pretty quiet, right? I mean, we had a week in there where it was one of the slowest volume days of the year right yeah. in the thick of earnings, which is highly unusual and I think kind of speaks to the fact that while certainly important, it's earnings are really kind of playing second fiddle to all these big tectonic plates that are that are shifting around. So that so there, it's it is it is clearly important and I think that the implications of any of the tax repatriation things will be, you know, certainly coming to the fore soon. But I don't know, from my perspective it's like people are not even really paying attention. It's amazing, actually. Yeah, and it's funny because whenever I ask traders, and I'm sure you have the same experience, whenever you ask traders or analysts or investors about earnings and why are you not acting on earnings right now, aren't you buying and selling, they'll say, well, we're not really focused on that. There's something else. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to earnings, but it just hasn't yet. So, And especially with the, the election, the new administration, everyone's now saying, oh, before we can focus on earnings, we need to focus on who he's appointing and what the, what the policy that might come out, because we really don't know enough about policies yet. So 
I don't know when earnings are going to actually <laughs> start getting paid ten- attention to anytime soon. No, I mean, it's a, it's a very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, because you look, and this sort of gets back to our point. I mean, you know, next week, and we sort of touched on this, there, it does feel like the market has sort of set itself up for a bout of volatility surrounding news out of the Trump transition team. You know, who he appoints as Treasury Secretary, who, you know, is going to be on his in, in now economic advisory, all these sort of deal, you know, positions and cabinet positions. Also, as he also clarifies policies, I mean, you know, where does he stand on the deregulation of the banks? One of the big things yeah. that has pushed bank stocks recently. I mean, how much is Dodd-Frank going to get rolled back? Where does, you know, a, a Trump administration, you know, he's he wants to, you know, he's made it, you know, pretty clear he wants to go after Obamacare. Um, but how much is that actually going to happen? Then, trade. Yeah, trade. I mean, you know, that global trade is a huge part. I mean, I, you know, I think we're in a, a podcast Friday, we talked about how it's 60% of global GDP. I mean, it might, you know, how much of an impact is that going to have on the bigger S&P 500 companies? Now, granted, most S&P 500 companies, make the majority of their profits in the U.S. Um, but, you know, that's not, it's still only, I think, around 60%. So there is a big hit there. Um, and as we saw, the dollar, you know, weighed on, tra- you know, mm-hmm. trade as well. So uh, how much are we going to, are we looking at the rest of the year going to be fairly volatile and jumping around as we, you know, we get more news it's a, I, uh, there's no question it's a fragile market. And to your point, while trade, amazingly, <laughs> uh, given all the uncertainty around it, hasn't, hasn't um, constrained the S&P 500 yet, you can do, you can see under the surface things like small caps did outperform a lot this week. Smaller companies that don't do business abroad and would be presumably less affected um, by uh, trade uh, rules, but also might benefit from the deregulation a little bit. I just talked to a manager who bought, you know, small cap value this week for that reason. I mean, so, you know, absolutely, it'll be interesting to see what tiny little incremental news moves moves these markets, because I think it is absolutely fragile. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty. There are, like, we don't know, you know, you know, he said a lot of things to, you know, and in many ways at times, you know, and I'm speaking of, you know, President-elect Donald Trump, he said a lot of things and in many ways contradictory. He's Glass-Steagall, for example, he said he was in favor of that. Then he didn't, he was in favor of not breaking up the banks. You know, he's in favor of tearing up Dodd-Frank. Where does he stand and where does that fall, you know, you know, play out? I mean, that's, you know, as these, you know, issues, I think, get more clarity, has the market sort of gone too far in its excitement. Like, you know, look at, um, you know, we've, they, with fiscal stimulus. I mean, everyone got really excited about that. But we don't know what that number is going to be yet. Yeah. And we don't know what it's going to, the makeup's going to look of it. We don't know once that goes through, you know, uh, you know Congress. That number could disappoint very easily. Same with biotech. Biotech, um, I don't know how the market just closed today, but it was on track to have its best week since 2000 or 2001. It was between those two, but that's either way, that's incredible. And you can say that he's not going to be as harsh on or be as forceful with drug pricing policies as his opponent. 
Hillary Clinton, but it, still, that's making a lot of assumptions to have a 14% rally in one and week. He, and he has also commented yes. on drug pricing and saying that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like he's like, oh, no, price drugs Do whatever how you want. You want yeah. No, he's clearly you know talked about that. So it does that come to fruition? Um, it, it, these are the things I think the market's going to be sorting out. And when you see the market sort of so clearly, and I think this was a stat that we've, we've talked about on Wednesday, so clearly sort of start setting out who the winners and losers are going to be, is the market, you know, you know, once again, getting ahead of itself. And I think that uh, Monday is going to be really interesting also. I talked to a lot of people today. The market kind of paused a little bit today. We didn't have as much of a huge rally as the last two days. And a lot of people I spoke with said, we're exhausted. We've been up for like three days straight. We made these quick rotational moves, or maybe we just watched the market make these quick rotational moves. But we need to actually think about this, and we're going to take a break over the weekend, discuss with our team about where we want to position ourselves. So I think I think that this was all kind of a knee-jerk reaction almost. And come Monday, come next week, we might see some more thoughtful positioning. I mean, that's the thing that's sort of, I think, been sort of crazy to me all week is the market is supposed to hate uncertainty. Yeah. And what we have is un- a lot of uncertainty, but the market has clearly, you know, made winners and losers. Uh, what was the stat about the, the like the dispersion stat you were talking about on Wednesday? Yeah. On Wednesday, the individual companies within the S&P 500 had uh, – the the distance between winners and losers was the most extreme since 2008. So oh, as wow. Co- as Corey says, I mean, I just talked to somebody again who said, like, listen, a lot of people have either made or lost a lot of money in the past yes. two days, and now it is this exha- exhaustion, this this sense that okay, let's let's actually think about this a little bit more carefully. Um, so uh, you know, it's just it's just really wild moves, some of which are rational, but like you said, it is that is the. The most amazing part of this week, right, we do, I guess, have certainty about who will be the president. But the fact that Donald Trump has said so many things about, uh, you know, on both sides sort of leaves an open canvas that peop- that investors seem to be projecting sort of wild uh, policy accomplishments way before they can because there's no – the policies as they've been described are so amorphous and could be on either side that it's just sort of anything goes right now. It's sort of like the wild imaginations of, of traders and investors. So, yeah, I think once the once it's digested, it could be reined in and we could see some reversals. I mean, the, I, I think really the market was not expecting in any way a Trump victory and the Senate and House staying in control of the Republicans. And what they're sort of – I think are getting ahead of themselves with is uh, – you have a fit, you know, fiscal stimulus, tax cuts, deregulation, um, and still low interest rates. Um, that probably makes probably a pretty good, you know, if you buy that is going to be the world we live in. That's not a bad probably case for um, stocks, but we'll we'll see how much of that comes to fruition. Yeah, and I mean, and not to mention that bond investors just got. <laughs> destroyed in the last yes. three days. So, you know, the the safe, the supposedly safest part of your portfolio or the diversifying part of your portfolio, people are definitely reevaluating that. Um, so, so the question is, is this the end of the 30-year bond market? Is anyone going to be bold enough it's the to end. call that? I'm calling it. It's over. It ended, <laughs> it ended in July. <laughs> <laughs> right when we wrote, uh, I think, five stories about how 
lower for longer. Um, no, I mean it, it's funny. The, the, the people have been calling an end to this bull, uh, the bomb bull market for the, you know close to I think thirty years. And I'm going to say it's not over. Yeah, the cemetery Ooh. is full of people <laughs> who are wrong. I'm going to uh, say it's not over now with international. Not, I mean, we can't solve even if in the U.S. things are looking better. I mean, look at look at abroad and their rates. We can't change that. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you later on Monday. Thanks a lot. Bye. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.